Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, week three in a message series called Who Are You? And what we're doing is we're asking a pretty big question. We're, we're talking about your deepest sense of yourself, your deepest sense of who you are as a person. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how people define themselves and how sometimes we miss the mark. This is a universal struggle. Uh, we all have struggles that are specific to us. We all have struggles that, that are unique to our situations. But there are a couple things that we struggle with, like just as, as humans, and this is one of them. We struggle to see ourselves as God sees us. And that's a big deal because if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, we won't define ourselves as God defines us. We'll forget who we are. So first couple of weeks, we've been, we, we talked a little bit about the ways that people define themselves according to false metrics. Uh, in week one, we talked about how people define themselves according to what they have or don't have. So the idea there is, if I sat down with you for coffee, if I didn't know you and we sat down together and I said, so tell me about you, who are you? You would start to give me information. You would provide your name. You might talk, tell me where you live. You might tell me about your family, if you're married, you have kids, where you work. You'd start giving me data. But pretty soon after most of the basic data was, uh, was covered, you'd start talking. If the chain continued, you would start talking about your things that, that relate to your deepest sense of who you are. And there's a percentage of people for whom their deepest sense of self is what they have accomplished. So for you, if we're talking, it pretty, pretty soon it's going to go to, well, I graduated from here with this kind of a GPA, and then I, I got a degree in this from this university, and then I got a master's degree from this and a PhD from that, and then I joined this company, and then I was on this team that, that took the championship home in this. I was an Olympic gold medalist at that, and then I climbed this mountain, and then I did, you follow me? Like I'm melodramatic, but you know what I'm saying. Like I did this, I accomplished this, I was a part of this, and this is who I am. This is, that would come out for some of you pretty quick. Because your deepest sense of you is what you have accomplished. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your accomplishments. Um, you know, good, healthy pride in what you've done. That's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's not who you are. There's also a percentage of you guys who would, who would define yourself according to the photo negative of that picture. And your deepest sense of self may be a little less quick to come out in conversation, but your self-talk, your deepest sense of self is, I didn't graduate from high school. I never went to a college. I didn't get a degree in this or this or that. My team never made the playoffs, and I quit climbing the mountain because I thought that was a stupid idea. <laughs> and I didn't do that. And now I don't, have, I don't have much of a resume. I haven't accomplished very much. And that's your deepest sense of yourself. You haven't, and whether, and whether you're defining yourself according to what you've accomplished or according to what you've failed to accomplish, you are wrong. That's not who you are. In week two, we talked about how a percentage of us would define ourselves according to what we have. And maybe this, people might not say this kind of stuff as much because it might sound a little bit like bragging, but, um, you know, hey, I, I live here, thank you very much, and I drive one of these, thank you very much. And, and what, you, what you don't know and you don't see is that what I've got in the bank and what I've got in my investments and what I've got in my 401k, that is who I am. For some of you, your deepest sense of self is what you have acquired and gathered unto yourself. And similarly, there are some of you living the photo negative of that reality, and your deepest sense of self is, 
I'm struggling and I can't pay the rent and I don't have anything in the bank. And that's, and, and, and so I'm, I'm maybe, maybe you perceive yourself to be a failure in some way or you perceive yourself to be less than in some way. And you're defining yourself according to what you don't have. But whether you're defining yourself according to what you have or defining yourself according to what you don't have, you're wrong. That's not who you are. And we've been correlating this with, with some temptations that Jesus faced. There's a passage in scripture where Jesus is taken to the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil for a time. And, and what, we, what we noticed is that there are similarities in the way he is tempted. And these things correlate to things going on in our lives. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk a little bit about the third temptation. This is Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Okay, so what's going on in this temptation? They're at the top of the temple, which is a high place, and and the temptation is, okay, if you're really him, uh, jump off. Just (laughs) jump. I'll even give you a soundtrack. I believe I can fly. Just go. God, just, is, that, is, the, is that the temptation? Extreme sports without a parachute? Come on, you're the son of God. You don't even need one of those squirrel suits. You don't even need a wingsuit. Just, just jump. Angels are going to catch you. It'll be fun. Is that the temptation? I'm sure you can tell by the way I asked that question that that is not the temptation. What is really going on in this temptation? As in the first two, the the temptation isn't in the second part of the sentence. The temptation is in the first part of the sentence. Everybody gets distracted and draws to the second half of the temptation, which involves bread or the cities of the world or whatever it, it might be. It's always the first part. It's always the first few words. It's always, if you really are the Son of God, if you're really Him, Let's see it. What does the top of the temple have that the mountain doesn't? They were on a mountain in the last temptation. Mountain's higher. I mean, the temple is a large structure, but it's not as tall as a mountain. If he's going to tempt Jesus to go skydiving without a parachute, the mountain makes more sense. What does the temple have that the mountain doesn't? An audience. Now there's people. Go ahead, jump. Let's show everybody. If you're really him, let's let them all know. Are you sure you're him? How would you, if you were, you don't think things like this probably a lot, but if you were the devil and you were trying to tempt Jesus, what angle would you take? How about this one? Hey, Jesus, what, what, uh, what happens to God's plan if you die? I mean, you know, what if, uh, what if you jumped off and you didn't make it? What if just somebody like runs up and stabs you? What if, what if, what if you just, you know, you just die? What, what, what would happen? Surely God will send 
another. I mean, he must have a backup plan, right? This can't all be riding on you. You're not the only one. You don't have to do this. You could step off of this path now and not have to go to the cross. You're not the only hope. There will be others. That might be what I would say to Jesus if I was the devil and I was trying to get him off track. I would try to... The devil is not circling Jesus going, let's see, where's he vulnerable? I'll get him the... I'll get him the... You know, he likes extreme sports. He likes bread. He likes the cities of the world. Let's see what... Let's see if I can find a weak spot. That's not it. It's always the same thing for him and it is always the same thing for you. His aim will always be to cause you to forget who you are. Just forget who you are for a minute. We look to we look to metric, to false metrics to define ourselves. Sometimes it's what we have achieved or what we fail to achieve. Sometimes it's what we have or what we fail to have. Other times we define ourselves through the lenses of the opinions of others. The opinions of other people matter an awful lot to us. Yes? Anybody struggle with this besides me? Yeah, a lot of us. So this is why, okay, this is why... You can go to the mall right now and buy a $300 pair of jeans. If you want to go to the mall and buy a $300 pair of jeans, you can. There's, there are jeans that cost $300 in the mall. Now, if that's you, rock on with your bad self. I'm sure they look great. If you're tithing, you're honoring God with your finances, and you're saving for your future, and you have extra money, and you want a $300 pair of jeans, that's great. But might I just suggest to you with humility that perhaps if you're buying a $300 pair of jeans, it's because you want everybody else to see the label. You don't buy a $300 pair of jeans if you don't want everybody else to see the label. You do what I do. You buy your jeans at Target and keep it sexy. That's what you do. Okay? But... If you want to, I didn't expect a round of applause on the sexy thing, but thank you. Okay, so, surprising. So, uh, you know, if you want to buy a $300 pair of jeans, that's great. It's why people buy jeans they can't afford. It's why people drive cars they can't afford. It's why, it's why social media is such a powerful force in our lives, because we want other people to know how fabulous our life is, even if it isn't that fabulous. We want other people to think we're very, very successful, even if we're not that successful. It is about image management. For many of us, image, ma- image management is a thing. And this is, you want to see image management in real life, in the real world, attend your next high school reunion. (laughs) Go to your next high school reunion. You're going to see image management in the real world. It will all be about whether people feel or appear to be successful. It won't be about whether they're actually successful. It'll be about whether other people think they are successful. The opinions of others matter an awful lot to us. And, and, and when you, when that's how you operate, it's almost like a disease. And we pass it on to other people. It's contagious. And a lot of people in our society have this disease right now. We're defining ourselves according to social media followership, to, to what people, and to what people say about us, and to what others think of us, and to whether we've not made other people happy. And when that happens, you pass that disease, disease on to each other, you pass it on to your kids. I talked, I talked a couple weeks ago about my son's, uh, you know, uh, former uh, Little League career. You know, he used to play Little League baseball. Before Little League, there was 
six-year-old soccer. Anybody remember six-year-old soccer? Any parents out there survive the horror of six-year-old soccer? Yeah, it's, and this is not just uh, boys, it's girls too, boys and girls. And if you signed up for six-year-old soccer, it's not because your kid wanted to play soccer, it's because you as a parent felt compelled to sign them up for stuff. And that's, that's a whole other sermon. But um, if you've ever been to six-year-old soccer, it's just a row of parents on the sideline, sitting there with their in, in folding chairs with their 7-Eleven coffee cup watching. You know, on the field, for a six-year-old soccer, it's boys and girls, and there are, there are two to 300 kids on the field at any time. Uh, there's no limits to how many kids are on the field. It's just a huge team. And here's the deal. When you're dealing with six-year-old soccer, only half of the kids on the field know that there's a spherical object called a soccer ball <laughs> that they should be paying attention to. The other half of the kids are just doing the six-year-old dance. <laughs> which is what they're supposed to be doing. That's perfect. They're running around the field. They're doing whatever. Only half of the kids know that there's a ball. Of the kids that know that there's a ball, only half of them know that there's a goal. So they're running, just kicking the ball. They don't know their goal. And of the kids that know that there's a goal, only half of them know which goal is the one the ball is supposed to go into. So the resulting situation is really just a, a scrum. It's dozens and dozens of kids kicking at the ball, and they just kick, 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 and then the ball squirts out, and they go, and they come over here, and they, they kick, 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 and every once in a while, play stops because a kid got kicked in the leg and is crying and has to be helped off the field. And that is all that is going on. But... But, like clockwork, with remarkable predictability, there were always a couple of parents on the sideline going absolutely berserk. There were always a couple moms or dads running up and down the sideline, come on, come on, Billy, look, veins popping, let's go, come on, kick it, get it, oh, come on, ref, where's the foul? And the rest of us are like, Dude, it's a goat rodeo. There's no, there's no competition going on out there. It's, it's bedlam. It's pure chaos. What are you yelling at? Right? You're looking at this and you're thinking, that's crazy. And it's funny. It really is funny until you ask this question. What's it like to grow up in that kid's house? What's it like to grow up in that kid's house? That isn't easy. Because that kid is learning. You will be approved of when you perform. You will receive the love you desire when you perform. The affection, the affirmation that your soul craves will only come when you meet my expectations. That's what gets embedded, imprinted onto the soul of that kid. And some of you grew up that way. Now, what do you do when, you, when you're that kid? You grow up, you come up to be a teenager. Well, now you're a very insecure teenager, and teenagers are insecure to start with, so now you're just kind of walking around going, well, how do I get that? How do I get the affirmation that I crave? How do I get the acceptance that I desire? How do I feel this, this ache, this unpronounceable ache that I have in my heart? I don't even know how to talk about it. I just know I want the approval and affirmation and affection from others. So if I look like this, 
Will I get it? Will I, if I dress like this, will I get it? If I wear my hair like this, will, will I get the affirmation? If I, if I perform like this, if I say the right things, if I like the right music, if I, if I do the right things, will I fit in? Will you finally like me then? And that teenager, uncorrected, will grow into an insecure adult. Do you remember when you were a kid and you thought to yourself, you know, when I'm older, I'll have all that stuff figured out. And here you are as an adult, like I'm even more confused now than I was when I was a teenager. Right? When you were a kid, you just thought somehow all those big questions would be answered for you when you got to be an adult. And here you are, you're an adult, and, and you're still asking all those questions. So what happens to that kid at the soccer field whose parents are screaming their head off? What happens is, uncorrected, unchecked, they, they measure themselves by a false metric through every single stage of life. And it'll be about how much they acquire or how much they earn or how much they have or how much, every, or, or how much approval they get from all the other people around them. And it will never be who they really are in Christ. And, the, and just cut to a scene 10 years, 20 years later, and they're a frantic, workaholic, hurricane of a person who can't slow down, can't say no, and feels guilty every time they rest. Did that go by too fast? Let me hit you with that again. You take a kid in that situation, like some of you grew up, uncorrected, unchecked, measuring themselves by a false measuring stick for the whole rest of their life, and you will cut to a scene of an adult who is a frantic, workaholic, hurricane of a person who can't slow down, can't say no, and feels guilty every time they rest. And some of you, you that, that's you, you're right there, and it's because you don't know who you are. You're still measuring yourself according to a, a ruler that you developed when you were in high school, and it's false. That's not who you are. In week one, we talked about the baptism narrative, Jesus' baptism narrative. He comes up out of the water, and, and the, a voice from heaven says, This is my son. He brings me great joy. That's who you are. You're God's beloved son. You're God's beloved daughter. And you bring him joy. When God sees you, he has an experience. He feels joy. And that takes faith to believe. That's hard to believe. It's just easier for me to believe that God sees me and he just shakes his head. It's just, it's hard for me to go, it's hard for me to imagine like I wake up in the morning and start my daily routine and God looks at me and goes, oh good, he's up. <laughs> I love this guy. Look at him. He's about to spill his coffee. This is going to be perfect. I love, he's a doofus. Look at him. He's the best. Like, I find it easier to believe that God just says, oh, here we go. <laughs> and some of you can relate to that, right? You feel like maybe God's disappointed in you or he's not. There's a pastor from Queens named uh, Pete Scazzaro, and he wrote a book, which I highly recommend. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emo emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I want to put, put a quote up on the screen. I want you guys to read this. Take a look at this. True freedom comes when we no longer have to be special in someone else's eyes because we know we are loved by God and good enough. True freedom comes when we no longer have to be special in someone else's eyes because we know we are loved by God and good enough. That's who you are, the beloved of your father. That's your true identity. 
and you've missed it because you're so focused on what you've acquired or what you've accomplished or what everybody else thinks of you. And it's left you empty. Haven't you sacrificed enough joy? How much joy have you left behind? How many experiences have you failed to absorb? How many, how many moments have there been in your life of deep-seated insecurity because you were measuring yourself against the wrong thing? Hasn't it been enough? Isn't it time to start measuring yourself according to what's true of you, not what's false? Isn't it time to start understanding who you really are? Some of you are out there, you're sitting in that chair and you're thinking to yourself, God, please let him hear this. Please let my dad hear this. Please let my mom hear this. Please let my husband hear this. Please let him or her or them hear this. Please, please let that person who won't affirm me, that person who keeps put... Listen up. You can't hear this for someone else. You can't hear this information and, and implant it into somebody else's head. You can only hear it for you. So stop hoping somebody else hears it and receive it for yourself. You are God's beloved son or daughter. That's who you are because that's who God says you are. He made you. He gets to define you. That's how it works. He defines you and says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. They bring me great joy. He's crazy about you. He loves you so much. And that has nothing to do with what you have or how many accolades you've stacked up or how famous you are or how everybody else thinks of you. You're his and once you get that right, once you clock that in and everything else sort of, all the other puzzle pieces all of a sudden start fitting together. Now, if you acquire something, praise God. You worked hard to accomplish it. That's great. Glory to God for that. And you're going to honor him in what you've done. And if you fail to accomplish something, praise God. That's an opportunity for you to learn. And if you acquire, praise God. You were blessed. And if you didn't acquire, you're struggling a little bit. You still have an opportunity to praise God in the middle of that. And if somebody likes you or doesn't like you, you can take it or leave it because you know your heavenly father is in your corner and loves you like crazy. The temptation will never be about what you think it is. The temptation is always to forget who you are. Don't you ever forget who you are. You are his beloved son or beloved daughter. You keep that front and center, you're going to be just fine. With that, let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. We do, and we're, we're, just, we're just all confused, Father. It's just easier to believe you're disappointed in us. It's easier to believe we, we screwed up somehow and that you just kind of shake your head when you see us. It's hard for us to find faith to believe that when you see us, you feel great joy. It's hard for us. It doesn't come naturally to just define ourselves as your beloved. It's just easier and somehow more expedient to define ourselves according to what we've earned or what we've accomplished or what others think of us. Father, we know, we know that isn't right, but it's just kind of what we do. So we're asking for your help to break some bad habits. We're asking for your help to, to, to snap that thinking and chuck it to the curb and, and focus our eyes on you and put our faith in you and how you say you feel about us. That we might live the rest of our lives not trying to acquire 
and not trying to accomplish and not trying to impress that we might fill that hole in our heart, but that we might let you fill that hole in our heart. That whatever we do from here on out is for your glory, part of a bigger story. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.